everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I'd like to welcome someone you all probably know very well, music artist and author Tiffany Arbuckle Lee, better known as Plum. We're honored to have you here today and to get to talk to you about the hungers that drive us applied. Thank you. This is so good. I'm super excited. During the course of the last few weeks, mm-hmm. our focus this month, we decided, would be the hungers that drive us. We talked about how we love. With Jane. With Jane. That's right. And we talked about the constitution of rest and the f- homes that built us. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about the hungers that drive us. And during the course of the last two segments, the focus was on the, the internal function of our soul, our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, and the impact it has on how we live and how we love and the facets, the characteristics of our homes and not just our homes, but the home of the home of the home of our parents, 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 and, and the impact it has on how we live and how we love and understanding ourselves, right? Mm. But today, you and I have a fun story because I had the privilege of working with you. So I wanted you to tell everyone a little bit about how we met and what brought you here. It's a fun story. I was out here in Orange County doing some songwriting and leading worship. And my husband had just left and I was facing divorce and I was broken. And she was wanting to kind of give me a place to get my feet wet and be reminded of who God says I was. And in the midst of that, she said, you've got to meet with Virginia Dixon. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no clue. It could be just a great friend. We're going to have coffee. It could be, you know, a doctor. I don't know. She didn't explain it. She kind of just left it blank. And I remember feeling like when I met you for the very first time. Because we met at 8 o'clock. Like at night. At night yeah. It was like after you were already going to normally be home, you stayed around to meet with me. And I remember feeling almost like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future when he goes Back to the Future, and he's going to see Doc, who's played by Christopher Lloyd, Dr. Emmett Brown. He goes to his door to, to say, like, help. And he says, stop, don't say anything to me. And he's in the middle of trying to, you know, create the flux capacitor. And so Michael J. Fox just comes in, and he has no idea what he's going to walk into. And this, you know, mad scientist has all these ideas going everywhere. And Michael J. Fox is just along for the ride, and he just becomes one of, obviously, he's been and becomes one of his best friends. He gets him. They get each other without even really having to say very much. And so I walked in, and you mm-hmm. you saw right into my soul. And I remember you saying to me, I don't know what's going on, but this is not your darkest hour. This is your finest moment. I remember that. And I lost it. And I knew I was in a safe place. Oh, that was such a great evening. We were both tired. Yep. It was the end of a creative writing expression it was a is the end of a significant trip for you too right and artists put out so much so i know that you're tired and not to mention the personal circumstances that you were dealing with but i do remember your beautiful face and this amazing weary soul and i was so excited when i saw how depleted you were because i thought i know exactly what to do Mm. And when you mentioned a few things that you were struggling with, I thought, oh, that's okay. She's temporarily buried alive, or maybe has been for a long time. Mm. 
But I remember, I, I if, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but I asked you to step in the other room because I needed a big board. Everybody yep. that works with me knows I write. I write, and then I write, and I write. And I don't, if I don't have anything to write on, I will write on my hand or my shoe or something. But I think in flowcharts. I think in visuals, right? But I remember when we went into the front conference room, and I said, Tiffany, just hear me out for a minute. Do you remember what I talked to you about? I mean, it was like a lightning round of just wisdom and light and these things that I've come to be able to verbalize that I believed you and I knew to be true and I was understanding in a way that I couldn't quite process, but I trusted it. Mm -hmm. And so talk more about that. Laws of nature, self-evident truth that speak to our natural affections. Rest is something 100% of our listeners completely have knowledge of. They just don't understand it. And I know, because I've been doing this so long, when I can lay it out for them, and I can, I just ask them permission, can I just speak to you for 15, 20 minutes? You can ask me any questions you want, but just hear me out for a minute. And I lay this matrix out. It's amazing because immediately, almost 100% of the people say, I have no idea what you just said, but that makes so much sense to me. Like, you just explained everything I don't have words to communicate that's a great way of saying it because I felt like you unlocked you gave words to things that I felt things that I knew but you gave words to them and explanations for them and that's so important to be able to express it because otherwise we just kind of hold it in here and it runs around in our mind and we don't process it and so you were helping me get it out We've spent a, the last few days together. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, a, almost a week together. Yeah. And yesterday we had a significant conversation for four hours or so. But something that struck me pertaining to what you just said is this, that in the last few segments, we've been discussing the confusion, the chaos, and the dis-ease that ail us, specifically as it pertains to this hunger, this thing that drives us. And something that even in the midst of confusion and chaos and disease that makes it very difficult to function and we just feel stuck, right? So we talked about the role of our conscience in that whole transaction. One of the things that Catherine and I talked about that one of the things I hear often and and you and I discuss this is if I have so much power, why do I feel so weak? These are reoccurring themes with people. Why am I my own worst enemy? I can't get the voices out of my head. And Catherine and I, in the last two segments, attempted to discuss, I think, in pretty good detail, wouldn't you say, Natalie? Yeah. The transaction that happens, and it it can be complex, but I think something with you that came out of my conversations with you this last week is these external circumstances, these things that come about or develop in our lives, it really doesn't change who I am. And it doesn't change my hunger. Nothing fundamentally about me has changed. I've got this desire to still sing. I have the desire to still make a contribution to my family, to my children. I have this hunger. Something inside of me says I was meant for more than this in spite of the circumstances that are drowning me right now. And I want you to talk a little bit about from that encounter when I said, let me lay this out for you. What's this phase of the journey for you like now? 
What is that hunger inside of you that is sustaining you? Well, something you just said made me think to say, when you say, why do we give our power away? I think self-doubt comes from a lot of external things in your life that can cause you, a person and experience can cause you to have a lot of self-doubt. And while it those things can't change who God created you to be, we give them authority. And we don't realize it sometimes. Sometimes we need someone to walk into our, our life and say, those things don't have an authority. Who God says you are is the end-all be-all, and we need community around us to help remind us of that. So I think in the journey that I'm on, I got definitely you know, blindsided by some things, and it's really easy to point a finger and say, someone's hurting me, someone's doing this to me, but at the same time, I'm, I'm in this place somehow with some, I have to take some ownership here. And it may not necessarily always be 100% on me, but at the same time, there's all I can control is me. That's right. So instead of getting caught up in letting those external things that are trying to tell me who I am, giving them authority, like who does God say that I am and, and be accountable to that in my part in whatever this is. And I think to get very practical about what you're saying, and if I could, beyond the absolute truth of what you just said, is this concept. When I sat down that evening with you, and I said, let me tell you a story. I think I put it in that context. And I laid down the entire matrix of rest and how we and others around us dissent, how things fall apart, when they fall apart, why they fall apart. And I spoke to the principles that were congruent with laws of nature, self-evident truth, and our natural affections. It immediately took us to the primary sphere of influence, the primary sphere of governance, which is our soul. It's in our soul. It's our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience. And I think, if I recall correctly, and certainly in the last two days we did, I really unwrapped that for you. And I explained that bondage, that confusion, chaos, and disease is really the result of bondage. And bondage is an internal function. We're really enslaved by external circumstances, but we're in bondage to ourselves. So it's the conflict between my heart, my will, my conscience, my feelings, and the lack of connection I have between all those things, primarily because they have one narrative about reality, about what's true and what's not, and about myself and other people. But here's a challenge, that I have a central nervous system, and I have a body, and I have five senses, right? Right. And they document and tell often another story, because the constitution of who we are really is not the consequence of the results of the things that have just happened to us in our lives. Our stories begin, like I said earlier, are woven deep into the constitution of our ancestors. So when a person comes in and they're in the state of mind, in the frame of mind that you are in, and really feeling like I'm drowning by the intensity of all these circumstances, and I'm weary from the workload that I have, right, as much as we might enjoy it, it was amazing to sit with you and say, hold on a second and stop this freight train from consuming you. Yeah. Or at least show you how you have all the controls. Because I remember when I explained to you that fundamentally, we're always talking about our capacity to individually self-govern, right? right? To regulate the conflicts within ourselves. So we're not enslaved to who? To ourselves. When we can reconcile 
our view of those things, we're not enslaved by external circumstances, whether it's a divorce or an incredible workload or deception or manipulation or lies or really unethical behavior or a legal system that's really crashing and burning for the whole world to see. Right. Right? We're fighting to establish law and order in a world that seems to have gone insane. So whether those, the reality of those things impact us because of the circumstances of our lives or some things our own doing, you still have the capacity to reconcile those things. But the reason I love to talk about the hungers that drive us is because that's kind of the plumb line. And I love that yesterday. Remember we concluded and I said, you're plumb, P-L-U-M-B. That is the plumb line. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's where your hungers lie, and it's what you're about. Yes, I was a backup singer, and a label wanted to sign me and said, what would you like to call yourself? Or would you call it a band name? What would it be? And there was a Suzanne Vega song on repeat in my apartment, and it's called My Favorite Plum, and it's spelled P-L-U-M. And so when the A&R guy, Robert Beeson, said, well, how would you spell it? Had he never said that, I mean, it was... Such a small question, and it was had such a huge impact on my life. And he said, how would you spell it? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, I guess P-L-U-M. And he said, well, what does the song mean to you? And I told him about how I love that it's metaphor and it's poetry, but yet it's pointed and, and intimate still. Like, she's saying something very specific to her, but she's leaving it open for you to interpret for yourself. And he had heard me talk about honesty and truth and realness and rawness and authenticity mattering to me so much. And I was like, I'm not sure what sound I'll have or or who my audience will be, but as long as it's just true. And fast forward, he asks that question, and, and he says, hmm, and my producer, Matt Bronlewy, who was just my neighbor and was writing songs with me at the time, I had just bought his guitar. He was selling to help pay his rent. He came with me to the meeting because I felt intimidated to go by myself. And he said, well, if you put a B on the end, Tiff, it would mean something so much deeper that I feel like is way more you, and it would mean true, like something is plum." It's about being correct, being true. And I was like, oh, I'm done. That's it. So it was going to be a band name, but the band never ended up getting signed. And so it just kind of became you, me. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be, hey, Miss Plum, can you sign this? And so eventually I was just, you can just call me Plum. So there it is. Wow. It is the whole of who you are, too, yeah. as a person. You're a truth seeker. Big time. Well, that is the hunger that drives you. At the end of the day, when did you hear a quiet, that quiet, still voice? I always ask people that question because I'm realizing that that's God romancing our hearts mm. and inviting us to experience and understand and live from the hungers he gave us because therein lies the root of our hopes, our dreams. And often our fears and our passions. So what was that quiet, still voice in your life that you know now drives your hunger? I feel like even right now, whether you use this, right, this specific moment or not, I feel like you just unlocked it. Because I've been trying to think of how to answer that question before we even started this. Mm -hmm. Because we've talked about things that I hunger for. But I think it is rooted in the name God gave me a long time ago, of Plum. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what is true? And so the still small voice, first time I remember hearing it, it's bittersweet because it was sort of at first birthed out of fear. I was at vacation Bible school, and someone was talking about 
asking Jesus into your heart. And I was thinking of all the little white lies I had told or, you know, anything naughty that I had done as this little you know kid. And I ran to the altar and asked Jesus into my heart. But it was not until weeks or months later that I remember standing in a Walmart parking lot with my mom. And I said, Mom, why do I feel like I'm the only one that knows Jesus, like like he's my friend? Like I, I know that you know him because you say that you do. But why do I feel like I'm the only one that actually really knows him? Mm. And she squatted down and put my face in her hands, and she said, that's called a relationship. That's a personal relationship because I feel the same way. She said, that's a gift and don't ever let go of it. And since then, I've just always sensed him with me, always present with me. And that has given me contentment to know I'm not alone and I can always talk to him. And so just from a a young age, I knew he was with me and I felt chosen by him. Not better than anybody else, but I felt chosen and that made me feel like my heart swell, like, wow, he... He wants to be friends with me, and I didn't want to let him down. And so I think there's a part in my story when I start getting really like meticulous about rules and not doing anything wrong and being afraid of disappointing him. And legalism, legalism came in, and you know, a pretty destructive fourth grade Sunday school teacher, you know, telling make sure before you go to bed at night, you know, and she would just say kind of scary things to make you afraid to do anything wrong. And I was like, oh man, what if I did? What if I did something wrong that I didn't even know that I did? Mm-hmm. And so starting to live in fear and like ending up with stomach aches at 13 and wondering why are these coming from? The doctors are saying I'm healthy and there's nothing wrong, but there was something wrong. And I think I was, I had kind of given myself over to f- more fear than trusting in that still small voice that was like, I've got gotcha. you. Sadly, I think that legalism and everybody else's standards and expectations brings such a yoke again of what of slavery mm-hmm. when in fact those little tender hearts of our children and sometimes of our friends and sometimes of our, our elderly parents but those tender hearts need to really understand these principles of rest because it's about reconciling the conflicts we have within ourselves and it should be a healthy pilgrimage of a lifetime instead when we have these experiences and these encounters with the wildness, creative and the spectacular and the mysterious living God, and we have these intimate conversations, and again, every single living human being, and I would challenge our listening audience to say, gosh, what was that quiet, still voice I heard? That was this hunger that God deposited in my heart. And our hungers change with time, right? And, but, but I think the thing that stifles our capacity to process and understand these things and certainly to process and cope difficult circumstances in our lives are these false ideas of God and that false idea of, wait, is that really something, my destiny and my purpose in life, or is it? things I'm just saying to myself and I'm not good enough for or I'm never going to accomplish that. And reconciling those things becomes really important, but I think the truth, Plum, what's true about God is or God isn't, how does that manifest itself? How do I reconcile that? Which is at the heart of rest, which rest is ultimately the philosophy and the theology of how these energy fields, if you will, work in our soul. And these relationships we have with these realities work in our soul. 
how our brain processes them and how they manifest in our body. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the power of rest because we're able to take all those things on simultaneously. And I've loved working with you so much because in just a few short times that we've been able to meet for significant, I think, conversations, but we were able to go deep quickly. And what's the fruit of understanding those hungers, processing them, and learning more and more about rest? What is that? What's the fruit of that in your life? Well, the very first thing that came to mind when you said that just now was that still small voice that wanted to have a relationship with me that I wanted to please when I have felt that I've disappointed him learning now at 46 years old that he's not disappointed in me. Never. Never. Because that's the highest calling of the spirit, right? There's three constituents, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And there's these pulls that we have, and we feel them all the time. The highest calling of our conscience responds to that invitation of this spiritual realm, our highest good, right? Love, joy, peace, contentment. That's the fruit of that. And then there's this other pull, gravitational pull, which is our body, our physiques, and it's rooted more in reactivities. It's the things we want, and it's more on impulse and reactivities. And when we can understand to tell the difference between what those things are Mm -hmm. and negotiate them through reason and rest and reconciling these conflicts in our soul, there's freedom. Yes. I think something else that you said that really caught my eye, and I know that we're running out of time, so I'm going to say this as quickly as possible, was having that fear. And I think that that's something that's actually taught more often than not to have Mm -hmm. this, this unhealthy fear of God. It's almost like how would you put that? It's it's almost like placing guilt on people. You literally said it made you sick. It made your stomach yeah, hurt. It's an sick. unhealthy fear. But then we also know and hear in the Bible about having a healthy fear of God. And so I wondered, Virginia, if you can kind of differentiate between the fear that Plum was experiencing and then having that actual healthy fear of God that coming from a place of respect and right. reverence. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Because it's the other fear, the fear that I think that's often misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It's really having disdain for anything that assaults the life of our soul. And we know what gives life to our soul and what does not. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is directly opposed to things like bitterness, resentment, contention. Those things are not life-giving. And I want to finish, if I could, Natalie, just take 30 seconds to say, and I'll have you, let you have closing thoughts here, Tiffany. But I think the work of the flesh, the work of our reactivities, the fruit of our reactivities are going to produce those things that are not favorable. Anxiety, depression, contention, dissension. But the fruit, that means it's coming out of something that is life-giving in my soul, is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, just these sensitivities, self-control. That's the fruit of something. That means there's light, there's life, there's liberty, there's all these things necessary to sustain life. Intuitively, we know when we're not well, wait a second, there's a conflict within me, and it is not coming from the fruit of everything that gives life to my soul. Yes. Was that too complicated, or did that? No, I think it was beautiful. perfect. I think that's... So beautifully said. I mean, you just think of how if something is true 
and good and pure and lovely. I mean, think on those things and what you just described in all the, <laughs> the, uh, Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. There we go. (laughs) When you were describing the fruits of the Spirit, like those are life-giving and things like guilt and shame and fear and discontent and contention, all those things you just described are death. Mm -hmm. So if they're not Mm life-giving, they are in fact death. Mm -hmm. And there's, a, I think, a a healthy fear related to that where it's like, I don't want to be a part of something dark and dying. I want to be a part of something bright and and living exactly we're going to have a lot of great conversations together but in closing i'd like to say that i have a growing respect and admiration for you because you're always willing more than willing you're eager to go to deep complex places and to not talk about people but discuss ideas and issues and things that are life-giving, and that's always given me so much hope. I knew that I could spend four hours with you, and it would be transformational, and you've continued to build on things we've processed from that first meeting. So I just want to thank you for trusting me with your heart. Well, thank you. I can't thank you enough. I'll spend the rest of my life getting to be your friend by saying thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being here. We are so happy and honored that you're here. All right. So for everyone else, you can find Plum's music pretty much anywhere that you like to listen. You can also follow her on Instagram for updates at Plum Music. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia to attend an upcoming event or to support us and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com. Check back next week for another episode of The Rest Podcast. Mm-hmm.